we are assembled here today to pay final respects to our honored dead. And yet it should be noted that in the midst of our sorrow, this death takes place in the shadow of new life, the sunrise of a new world, a world that our beloved comrade gave his life to protect and nourish. He did not feel this sacrifice a vain or empty one, and we will not debate his profound wisdom at these proceedings. Of my friend, I can only say this. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Everybody knows him, Hello, I'm Leonard Nimoy. The following tale of alien encounters is true, and by true, I mean false. It's all lies, but they're entertaining lies, and in the end, isn't that the real truth? The answer is no. Are you all right? Yes, I believe no permanent damage was done. What happened? The occipital area of my head seems to have impacted with the arm of the chair. Fascinating is a word I use for the unexpected. Fascinating. 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 Live long and prosper. Image of Serac. Father of all we now hold true. The, uh... Image of Serac read in your face what is in your mind, Spark. As I turned and my eyes beheld you, I displayed emotion. I beg forgiveness. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genrecast, where we take a film studies approach towards films that you will never find in a film studies course syllabus. However, this month, it's a little different. That's right. In the month of February, we had over 2,500 listens. That's kind of amazing. To thank you, we wanted to give a little something back, and by doing so, we're going to let you guys pick the trash this month. This month, we're allowing our listener submissions to be our film study syllabus. Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it flamed, flames, flames on the side of my face. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. So what's your name, Icy? Stuntman Mike. Stuntman Mike's your name. You ask anybody. Hey, Warren, who is this guy? Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? We are the knights who say... Ni! No, not the knights who say ni. The same! Take this thing out of the case and stick it up your nose. Don't worry, it's self-guiding. I know you don't want to be here forever. 
You know, I got things I want to do in my life. When? You got red on you. Statistical fact, the cops will never pull over a man with a huge bomb in his car. Why? They fear this man. They know he sees farther than they, and he will bind them with ancient logics. That's right, and this week uh, we're going to allow Caleb Vesley, who suggested, suggested this film on the very first show we ever aired. Please don't listen to it. It's, oh, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> we were finding our way. We'll, revi- we'll revisit Assault on Precinct 13 at some point. Maybe even the uh, remake. But Caleb Suckett Vesley um, was uh, <laughs> kind enough to submit Tucker and Dale versus Evil. And so we are going to be looking at uh, that film this week. And of course, as you all know, we're going to avoid spoilers and we're not going to tell you how Old Yeller gets rabies and then has to be shot at the end of the film. But uh, we'll move right along right now and do our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews after... We do our quick introductions. First of all, to my left, ma'am, if you introduce yourself. My name's Alexander Bohannon, and today has been a doozy of a day. <laughs> Thank you for that. Cross table, if you would, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart, and holy shit, hide the sharp objects. <laughs> Absolutely. My name is Dustin Sells, and you know, he's pretty heavy for half a guy. And uh, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> we are so glad to be talking Tucker and Dale versus Evil again. We're going to avoid the spoilers about Old Yeller and the Rabies, but not until after uh, our synopsis and then our quick thumbs up and thumbs down reviews. And then we're going to get into what we're doing with this show, which is it's an analysis show, not a review show. And then we will spoil like crazy uh, college students who are off their meds and have a suicide pact. And so that's all coming very, very, very quickly. So here's a synopsis from the voice of the Dollar Theater, Mr. Dolan Stewart, if you would, sir. Tucker and Dale are on a vacation at their dilapidated mountain cabin when they are attacked by a group of preppy college kids. Ugh. Period. Period. You sound like Wolverine. <laughs> it's just so trying. I was going for a little Christian Bale Batman, little Clint Eastwood with just a dash of Wolverine. Yeah, bub. Thank you very much for that, uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Now we move on to our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you in terms of review? This movie is simultaneously a Shakespearean tragedy and a Shakespearean comedy of errors. If one thing had happened differently, then there's no plot to the film. Right. Which is kind of fabulous. I, I, I like that reading of it so much that I almost made that my analysis, because it's pretty fabulous. Unfortunately, I'm no Shakespearean scholar, so that would be a really short conversation. <laughs> but I, I just like this movie so much. It's so funny. Uh, I was lucky enough, during one of our periods of being snowed in, a uh, friend of the show and a uh, former guest host, Kirsten Thurkelson, lives in the same apartment complex as me, so... in part of this uh, three or four days of being snowed in here in the uh, Oklahoma metropolitan area. She came over and uh, watched this with me, and we were both laughing so hard. I hadn't seen this movie in uh, quite a few years. I mean, I, I watched it right when I first got Netflix, because it seems like it's been on there for ages. Which is why we're always like, no, we'll get around to this eventually, Caleb. Uh, I'm so glad we did get around to talking about this film, because it is so funny. Alan Tudyk and, and Kyle Levine are just, they have such great chemistry in this film together, and, and really... I think their performances make the film. I mean, listeners of the show know I'm a huge fan of Joss Whedon's work, uh, so I'm no stranger to the to the work of the fine Alan Tudyk, uh, particularly in Firefly and Serenity. And he's just got great comic timing. He really does. And, and 
I said Kyle. It's Tyler Labine. Tyler Labine is just hilarious in everything I've ever seen him in. And then the two of them just bounce off each other so great, and it really makes this movie work. Uh, which, it's a good-looking movie, considering what I'm assuming was probably a limited budget. It looks mm-hmm. really good. It's shot very well. Um, you know, the twists and turns that do happen are, are pretty fascinating and, and work well within the plot of the film. And overall, it's a really good uh, dissection of that, you know, kids in the woods, meet freaks in the woods uh, genre, a la Hills Have Eyes or Deliverance, that sort of thing. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give it... Three and a half torsos out of a possible five. Excellent. Thank you very much. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what do you say in terms of review? I like this movie. It's it's a comedy, and it's definitely worth your time. Honestly, I'm just going to echo a lot of what Dalton said. I really think this movie does what it aims to do well, which is really deconstructing that, exactly that, freaks in the woods, young college kids getting dismembered, you know, all that whole genre of films. Um, it does a really great job dissecting it. Um, I think the ending for me kind of... it. The, I didn't expect the ending, the twist, which I thought about it, I considered it, and I'm like, they're not going to do that, and they did it. And I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, I guess I'll get into that more in my analysis. But um, I guess if that's one big thing I have against this movie, it's, it's how the ending ended up turning out. Um, I'd say that the shooting and the comedic timing and the actress that plays across, um, are, are Dale. She does a really great job and I totally believed it. But you might recognize this, uh, Circe, Circe, whatever her name is on 30 Rock. Mm. <laughs> Playing a very different character here. Yeah, I really, I believed their chemistry completely and I didn't see, I did not find their togetherness implausible, which was fabulous because one, uh, you know, they're not the kind of typical couple portrayed in popular media, hypothetically. So, you know. She's a lot hotter than Dale is, I think is what you're getting at. Yeah. And a little bit. Just, I mean, so it's kind of, they they pull it off and it's awesome. I don't really question the plausibility or motivations there. So good acting on their part. Overall, I feel like it does what it does well. I'm so squeamish, so I really can't. I can't watch some of the all the impaling bits, and luckily, the film is timed in such a way that I'm almost like 100 percent for being able to predict when those squeamish bits happen. Anytime <laughs> anyone runs through the woods, they're gonna die. Impaled on a log. Impaled oh my on God, something. So funny. <laughs> yeah. He must be allergic to bees. <laughs> Real bad. <laughs> so um, that that besides that, I mean, that's the only thing. That would cause me to knock it and that in the ending. So I would say 3.75 giant beams with unstable nails out of a possible <laughs> five. Excellent. Nice. Excellent. Nice. Uh, well, what I want to say in terms of reviews, again, I like the movie very much. Uh, it it's, it's really does a fantastic job of balancing these sort of horror effects alongside uh, that which is comedic. It doesn't get too far over the edge into horror. It stays firmly, I think, within the comedy. Oh, totally. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one just of, gross out comedy. It, it's kind of one of those horror comedies that is leans so far a comedy that it ceases to be a horror film. It really just makes use of a few horror tropes and, and, and really plays its comedy well. And I think, again, it, it, it does so in a way that's quite effective. There are other times when films are sort of trying to walk those lines that you, you sort of feel like you're in bit A, okay, now we're in the horror movie bits, oh, now we're in bit B, now we're in the comedy stuff. And it definitely feels like it's a unified whole throughout. 
and I think that's that's really quite excellent. I think the performances are great. I think some of the shots are gorgeous, uh, especially some of these uh, sunrise opening shots as they're running through the forest. Uh, really good sunlight and fortunate fog slash fog machines are being used uh, at that time, and so there's a very good eye the director of photography has uh, throughout the film. And uh, yeah, it's it's super effective. Uh, I watched it with my wife, and she and I laughed so much. I mean, it was just so much fun, and uh, she really enjoyed it, and so did I. And so I'm going to give it probably oh seven and three eighths possible uh, bees nests out of a possible ten. And uh, I like it very, very much. But let's move on. Okay, now we're in spoiler territory, and you're going to find all about how that dog had rabies all along, and then um, Jangers, Jangers, oh Jangers. What yeah. a precious little pup. And then he turns into Cesar, learns how to talk, and he takes over the world. Um, it's the dawn of the planet of the dogs. And uh, so... No! Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! <laughs> we uh, want to bring some analysis... Jangers home! <laughs> ...at this time. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what analysis bring you? Well, my first thing that I couldn't mention when we were still in Spoiler Free Town was questioning the ending. This is just kind of, this isn't a full analysis. This is mostly just a, I want to know what you guys think about this. Okay. Whenever we find that the main, you know, quote, bad guy, pro- Protag, who's in Douchey McDoucherson. Micker Chad, like Chad, the, the, the douchey name. Yeah. I'm sorry if you're named Chad. Chad or Todd or Trevor. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, Chad. He's wearing a, a pop collar. To our listeners named shirt. Chad and Todd and Trevor, I'm really sorry. Me too. You should talk to your parents. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so whenever we get to the ending, and I, the whole movie is all like hillbillies are not bad, even though this douchebag thinks they're bad. We get to the ending, and we find out, oh, turns out you're a hillbilly after all. Ha, ha, ha. Doesn't that kind of totally, like, make the point of hillbillies aren't bad people? Yeah, it, it does It does kind it of... It takes the wind out right out of the sails. Yeah, it does definitely hurt the larger premise of the film, which is judge not lest ye be judged. Yeah, it's it, sort of ineffective. It reminds me much, there's a there's a bit of a social media viral video out there and it's some some daytime talk show and I forget the host um, she's African uh, uh, British African mm-hmm. and uh, I said African American but she's not American at all and uh, he's a white supremacist and they do a, a genome test on him and he's like 13% you know of African descent and it's sort of like this big reveal kind of gotcha moment and I kept thinking about that when I watched it, but I think you're absolutely right, Alex. It totally takes the win out that of That just sales. made me think of the uh, sketch from the very first episode of The Chappelle Show, uh, in which Chappelle plays a blind Ku Klux Klan leader yeah. <laughs> who grew up in a white orphanage, and everybody just told him he was white his whole life because oh, they didn't want him to feel oh, different. Oh, shit. Oh, my. Yeah, it's a really, really that's great... funny. It's a great sketch. That's oh, what that's that, good. That's what that made me think of, Dustin. Right. So let's... Moving into what your actual analysis is, what, what did you think about when you watched this? Well, um, my my points that I really, really wanted to bring up today were um, issues surrounding perception of um, law enforcement and misconceptions about, you know police and police brutality. Okay. Um, I found it really interesting that, you know, how you were saying, oh, it's a comedy of errors. So many of these issues could have been resolved if they had just, like, talked to each other. Yeah. Or if one thing would have fallen out of place, it would have all been fixed. If he hadn't chainsawed the, the bees' nest. 
you know, if you hadn't done this, if you hadn't done this. They've been a little bit more specific then. We've got your friend. Yeah. <laughs> F-R-E-I-N-D. She, she fell and hit her head and we saved her from drowning. Maybe, you know, a little bit longer of a statement, but probably helpful. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just found it really interesting that there's a hesitance on both sides to mm-hmm. really talk to the police. Mm-hmm. And the one character who decides to go and fetch the police, which I think is the the good idea in this circumstance, especially from the point of view of the college kids. I mean, those guys, they probably don't really think about that, um, are Tucker and Dale. Tucker and Dale definitely have good reason. I mean, there are a bunch of dead college kids all over their property, so... Yeah. They, they have a bit, bit better reason for not wanting to contact the authorities. Right. But, but the, yeah, the college kids clearly should be calling the cops. Yeah, and the fact that it's the, the kid that he's portrayed as weak, you know, Chad kind of berates him for being a wuss and not pulling himself by, up by his own bootstraps to fix this problem, and, uh... You know, it turns out that he's a deranged killer by the end of the movie, so it, that kind of makes sense. But it's really, it's, I think that conversation is really interesting. And so whenever the police actually, well, the police, the one policeman, actually arrives, it it turns out that he's uh, just kind of equally incompetent. You know, I, I feel like these these stories that are pervasive throughout popular culture about portrayal of law enforcement and a general distrust of them because it's it's like okay well whenever we call the police we know they're just gonna misconstrue everything and and cock it up and i think that's kind of a a dangerous precedent to set and i know there's a lot of conversation with ferguson and michael brown and all of these really important conversations we're having regarding um police and especially you know the Integration of community policing in society. See the uh, fabulous two-part uh, "This American Life" uh, cop see it differently uh, two-parter that released a few weeks ago. Really good stuff there oh, really? about this conversation. Oh yeah. gosh, I definitely gonna we'll, we'll, put that we'll, online. Yeah, we'll post a link to those two uh, episodes of "This American Life" in the show notes. Yeah, "This American Life's top-notch content. Uh, I think that's an important conversation to have, but I do think that it is important to remember that they are the their first line of duty we should be trying to go to them to help us with our problems and i know that there are instances where the police are in the wrong because they're human just like everyone else but at the same time i do think that's a troubling conversation to have that everyone is constantly afraid of the police of what they're going to do or they're not going to understand but it's it's kind of their job to understand well and then the police was clearly foolish going in the house and oh yeah was, like yeah, everyone in the car don't go in you know and and his, although he does seem to take their story at face value you like, know there is like, yeah. i mean that, yeah to, to that point there is some sort of uh, believability he has he doesn't rush to violence he doesn't rush to, yeah to judgment know. yeah yeah but at the same time you know it's it, it is um, that that dopey police officer sort of portrayal, right? Forty five ish, and I and I think that's a it's a tr- troubling um, continuance of that stereotype, you know, for our conversation today, especially considering um, perceptions of police in popular media. Well, thank you very much, Miss Alexandra Bohannon, Mister Don Stewart. What do you say in terms of analysis? 
Well, I want to talk about the idea of the self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, that, that that's something that's been around in literature, I mean, all the way back to, you know, the Greek tragedies, and you can find it in Shakespeare's writing, and it's, it's been a trope for ages, but it's, you know, an actual, very real uh, sociological phenomenon, uh, and the first person to put a name to it uh, was a, a guy by the name of Robert K. Merton, uh, who was a sociologist uh, in the uh, 20th century. Um, and I'm just going to read directly from his article, Self-Fulfilling Prophecy, which uh, he published in 1948. Uh, Merton defines it as such. Quote, The self-fulfilling prophecy is, in the beginning, a false definition of the situation, evoking a new behavior which makes the original false conception come true. The specious validity of the self-fulfilling prophecy perpetrates a reign of error. For the prophet will cite the actual course of events as proof that he was right from the very beginning. Now, this is most commonly used in, in, in you know sociological discussion and, and psychological discussion uh, to kind of talk about how labeling someone a certain way can affect their behavior or labeling a situation can push the situation in that direction. And I think that's exactly what we have going on in Tucker and Dale versus Evil. The college kids assume uh, that these weird, uh, you know, outdoorsy, rednecky guys uh, and, you know, the the shy guy who just made the very bad call of carrying his scythe over God, there. God, oh, yeah. Yeah, bad choice. But, but this whole movie starts with them making assumptions about other people and assuming that they have reason to be afraid of these people who they don't know, who are, you know, minding their own business. Yes, they do try to uh, approach them and have a conversation with them, but really they're, they're, they don't do anything really overtly threatening but throughout the course of events that Chad keeps pushing, um, he keeps pushing this assumption that they have reason to be afraid of these guys and that, you know, they're going to, and he tells the story of these, these um, Labor Day murders, I think it was, or Memorial Day murders, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, I always get the two holidays mixed up, not going to lie. One's in May, I think. Yeah, Memorial Day is what they do. May, the May. May and September, man. I can't, I'm, I'm bad. Anyway. The point is, uh, Chad pushes events to happen, and, and the prophecy does, in fact, fulfill itself. He keeps saying, oh, we can't trust these guys. And then when the very first of their friends tragically impales himself on a tree branch, <laughs> well, the shit just hits the fan. Um, and instead of just, you know, figuring out what happened, they're like, clearly he was murdered, and clearly these guys are out to get us, so we have to attack them. And through the course of trying to attack them fulfill the prophecy of their murders by launching themselves into wood chippers and setting themselves on fire ad nauseum. With the moonshine. As With the possible. moonshine. Oh, so God. funny. Uh, but I just I think died. it's I think it's a really kind of fabulous critique of, um, you know, fish-out-of-water horror movies in that, you know, more often than not in these horror movies, the mood is ratcheted up before the audience has reason to be afraid, and that's supposed to be the dramatic irony is the, the college kids or the, the, the oblivious family has no reason to be afraid yet. Uh, but we, the audience, know they should be afraid because we're privy to some information uh, that we have. And obviously the film has already been made, but we have this, this idea or prophecy that shit's going to hit the fan probably because we saw the trailer or the poster or the opening credits. And we're like, well, this isn't going to go well. Uh, and then it doesn't go well. And that's what happens in all horror film, really. Uh, again, I keep going. I, keep, I kept thinking of The Hills Have Eyes as a really good example because that's the most, uh, very much a group under siege by another group. Uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre to some extent, but it's more of a picked-off thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that quite, uh, you know, two groups at war with each other sort Isn't of it, scenario. And I did find it interesting, the reversal of the home invasion trope at, mm-hmm. by the very end. I just thought that was mm-hmm. really yeah. fascinating. That is interesting. I actually thought about that. But yeah, I, I just think it, it's it's really interesting <clears throat> that it, it brings that idea of the self-fulfilling prophecy uh, into the conversation, or either I should say the phenomenon of the self-fulfilling prophecy uh, has been proven. Uh, it's not just an idea. Um, but it brings that to the conversation of horror film, and, and kind of, I think the filmmakers beg you to consider what happens in a horror film in another light, and, and you know, asks you to not be so hasty to make judgments. And, and then, as Alex said, uh, it does kind of negate that premise by revealing that Chad was a, a half hillbilly rape baby, which is icky. Yeah, um, sketch. Yeah. Went super dark. Yeah, went like, super dark. Just yeah. It's like, oh no, those murders really happened. Um, by hillbillies mm-hmm. and created another hillbilly murder. But I, I, I don't know. I think it, the movie could have been more powerful at the end if it just turned out that this is just one fucked up college kid. That like, yeah, you know, that it kind of puts that conversation that anyone can do yeah. terrible, mm-hmm. unspeakable acts of horror and not just marginalized groups. Yeah. Know? Well, I suspect the the film probably started with the premise. Uh, and then they were like, "Well, shit! How do we end this movie? Like, we can't. Like, we need a twist. There has to be. Well, there has to be a conflict. It can't just be people accidentally getting killed for you know half an hour, and then the movie's over once they all accidentally kill themselves. So, uh, but I, I do think it, it is uh, something interesting going on in this film. So that's what I have to say, Dustin. What are your thoughts as far as your analysis go? I mean, there's a couple avenues I could have gone down with the film. I mean, it's really, really smart in, in terms of its uh, use of horror movie tropes and references Absolutely. to mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw, to Cabin in the Woods, and just to other... Uh, Cabin in the Woods, excuse me, Evil Dead. This predates Cabin in the Woods yeah. by two years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is as smart a film. That's a different sort of smart, I think, uh, than that particular film. Absolutely. Um, you could think about in terms of class. I, I think there's definitely oh, something going on. I very, I very nearly went that Me route. Me too. <laughs> Yeah, I think we were all thinking about that. Yeah, so it's it's all obviously um, there, and uh, but uh, what I would say is uh, I want to think about this in terms of post nine eleven. Um, go go on. Well, you know, I mean, there is this real tragedy that happened. The Memorial Day massacre is a real thing that happened. That that where in, in, in the film, yeah. In, oh, okay. In, in, in the world of the film, right? Alex had a look on her face. <laughs> I was <Yeah>. like, "What do you want?" So there's a real, there's a real kind of catastrophe that occurs where people from a particular group prey upon others of another group, and, I, and again, I think very much like September 11th, where um, terrorists who happen to be Muslim committed an act of severe atrocity and then there is this sort of uh, reaction that happens on the part of our victimized character you know mm-hmm. um, who, who I think in many ways parallels uh, George W. Bush's uh, behavior and sort of that um, uh, those of his ilk uh, I, I imagine including the burned off face I like to picture G uh, Dubs being a lot like Chad in college there's some pop collars pop collars mostly mostly that and teal polos and uh, which is very yeah off putting. Not a good look for anybody. No. Um, and, and as I was watching, I thought, well, you know, I mean, there's this thing that happened where G Dub's father was. Um, and there was a plot to assassinate him, and there's sort of this familial rage against this group of people, and that you cannot think of them as you know isolated extremists amongst a group. And again, there are some hillbillies do terrible things. Yeah, yes. this is a thing that happened. Um, some, some college Muslims, kids do terrible things. And, and again, some Muslims. We live in a day and age where there's a major threat with ISIS going on right now in the world, and there are some Muslims out there who are doing some terrible things. But it's mm-hmm. not because they are be, because they are Muslim or because they are rednecks that they do the terrible things. It's just because they're damaged, deranged persons. 
who are doing those sorts of terrible things. But now they're all bad, and you can't be around them. You can't have any sort of affection for them. Allison, I think, sort of depicts um, the, uh, you know, again, right-wing uh, caricature of the liberal um, who wants to uh, say, no, they're okay, they're all right. I'm going to make a terrible therapist. We're, we're gonna, yeah, I'm going to make a terrible therapist. But she wants to make friends because she realizes not all, you know, uh, rednecks, not all Muslims are, are those sorts of people. And it just cannot be lived with. And so we have these accusations of the Helsinki Syndrome. We have this uh, reaction of being duped that, no, 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 really, because some of them are bad, all of them have to be Bad. Is Helsinki the same as Stockholm? Uh, did I say Helsinki? Yeah, yes. I meant Stockholm. I think Helsinki is different. It is a different. I'd have Helsinki. to reread that. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. You're the sociologist. You can. Yeah, tell I me should that. know this off the cuff. <laughs> I don't. It's been a few years since I've been in school. I did mean Stockholm, though. Um, and and that and so again, she has been duped and sort of wrapped into this. And so he begins to react in certain ways and begin to act in ways just like the worst of those folks in order to prevent further atrocities by those folks. And I, I think uh, of waterboarding and other forms of uh, torture in order to extract information when um, Tucker's fingers are cut off. His, his bowling, fingers. His bowling fingers! Bowling fingers. No less. And uh, there is just no way that, they, that, that any sort of mercy can be had, and these folks need to be eradicated from the face of the earth. Which, again, I think is quite reflective of some attitudes towards... Uh, uh, people who belong to groups in which um, some representative members have done bad things, but they don't actually represent the entirety of the group in question. And and, and the film sort of kind of overcomes that, I think, in the end, uh, by terms of conversations. Like, no, 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 yes, it was terrible what happened there, but mm-hmm. let's not become as bad as the people who have done the terrible things. And that's exactly what Chad does, Mm -hmm. is he becomes as bad as the worst of them. And rather than dealing with the situation, um, listening to the better angels of their character, rather than dealing with the situation saying, we will not stoop to the level of those who have done terrible things, he becomes just as bad. Mm -hmm. He becomes the psycho killer himself. And again, I think about American foreign policy and uh, some of the conversations being held around that. It Mm -hmm. seems to me that the film is a critique of that sort of foreign policy in which we say, oh, no, no, Uh, any means necessary now justify us to uh, be as wicked, to be as heinous, to be as cruel as those who have done heinous, wicked, and cruel things. And uh, the film then suggests, no, that's actually not going to work. And what it's going to do is it's going to increase tragedy, it's going to increase suffering, Mm -hmm. and it's going to pile up bodies on both sides. And uh, that is not a good thing. And so I think the political reading of the film um, is quite instructive uh, to American foreign policy, to responses to catastrophe, tragedy, and terror, and uh, might suggest that there are better ways than just... uh, marginalizing a group, uh, sort of giving a wide generalization of what all this sort of people are like, and recognize that, yeah, some hillbillies, again, we know of hillbillies who have done terrible bad things. I mean, reference Ed Gein, uh, who is basically a redneck who ate a bunch of people and killed a bunch of people and, you know, uh, inspired a great many horror films. But it turns out, not all country folk are Ed Gein. In fact, most of them aren't. And uh, perhaps, not, by and large, not all Muslims crash planes into buildings. Not all Muslims are beheading people on video. Not all Muslims are doing those sort of things. And it might behoove us to consider that there is a larger population to take into account when we consider our attitudes towards persons. And rather than taking an attitude towards persons, we ought to take attitudes towards actions. And as a result, we would have a more nuanced and I think probably more successful foreign policy. And again, I think that seems to be what the film suggests as well. 
All right. Well, there you go. There's our analysis, dear listener. We'd love to hear what you think about all of that. It was all for you, Vesely. That's right. Um, and so we now want to uh, render our verdict. What we say, shelf or trash, else or instead. I begin with you, Miss Alexandra Bohannon. What say you, shelf or trash, else or instead? I think this is very shelfable. Even though it's on Netflix, you can keep it on your digital shelf if you want. But I think that this is a really funny film, and it has an, a, a great deal of important messages for people who are horror movie aficionados, like these two at the table, and people that are not, like me. And I think that both parties can come together and really enjoy this movie and what it has to say. Um, not I'm, all horror movie fans are monsters, right? <laughs> that's that, right. That's what we've learned. I wouldn't go as far as uh, to call myself an aficionado, but I might know a thing or two. Yeah, I do not. So I'm considering most people to be more of aficionados than I. Um, <laughs> so I would say that good pairings with this film would be um, two sh- two films we've actually watched for the show. We have Zombie Land, which is a, a delightful. Comedic, comedic leaning romp horror movie that has a lot of uh, good plot chemistry, a lot of um, misunderstandings. I'm thinking of our uh, the end of the film. I just based on his name and Bill Murray. I think uh, of yes. Bill Murray's famous misunderstanding in that movie, um, and lots of great uh, bro ship and chemistry, and then gore and guts. So that would be one for you. And then the other would, of course, be Texas Chainsaw, because that has a lot of the tropes that, that this film is critiquing. You know, the all hillbillies are bad, and that people are just going to get dismembered if you go out in the woods, and there's the gas station that's the last stop, and, you know, there's weird shit involving fingers, and, you know, all Pickled this eggs. stuff. Pickled eggs, you know, just like all of the tropes. So much gas if you eat that many pickled eggs. I'm just saying. (laughs) Sounds so gross. Did you notice that he ate half and then put it back? Yes, I did. I did. It was a very good visual (laughs) gag. For the record, they don't have hillbillies in Texas. Those are rednecks. Oh, okay. It's a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I would recommend those films to uh, kind of complete a triple feature for this film. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohan. And Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? I'm going to say stream it. Um, it's fine. It's really good. I mean, as you, I, as I've said, I like it a lot, but I don't think you need it in your life necessarily. Um, it's perfectly fine, but yeah, you probably don't need to rush out and spend money on this one. Um, if you've got a streaming account, just do that. Um, enjoy it for what it is. Uh, but then, you know, set aside. Um, but instead of that, you know, if you want to skip this one, Another core comedy we've talked about on the show, uh, The Cabin in the Woods, and you can actually listen to that episode. I feel pretty good about that one. Um, really, I think, is the <clears throat> end-all, be-all postmodern horror comedy. I mean, it better than Scream, better than Tucker and Dale versus Evil. It's Cabin in the Woods. That's kind of the end-all, be-all. But it does have a lot. It's so funny and has a, really, a, a cast with really strong chemistry uh, and, and does lean a little bit more horror than this one does. You actually do get some of your horror thrills there in Cabin in the Woods. Uh, and I think that's probably a more valuable film, honestly. Uh, I would also recommend you check out uh, The Hills Have Eyes, which you know came up a couple times in this conversation. Now, I have to be honest, I haven't actually seen the Wes Craven original. Uh, but the remake is super good. Uh, it is a good remake. It's it's very good, yeah. Um, my understanding of it is doesn't really do anything differently from the original. It is pretty much a, a beat-for-beat retread, so I probably would like the original just fine. Um, Ted Levine stars as the dad in that. He's probably the... the the biggest name in that in that picture, but I, I really uh, like that cast as a whole. I, I haven't seen it in a few years, but I do strongly recommend it. I remember enjoying it quite a great deal. Fuck 
So what's the biggest difference between the original and the remake if they're shot for shot the same movie? I think think pacing-wise and energy-wise, it's a lot more like an action film, and it's a lot gorier. So yeah, I would recommend you check that out, and in addition to Cabin in the Woods, and listen to our episode over that show. Uh, Dustin, what about you, bud? Well, I don't know that I would say Shelf either. Um, It is really good. It's uh, really, really funny. I think it's really sort of uh, important in its conversation in different ways than, say, Cabin in the Woods is. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if I... I think I might have laughed out loud more often watching this one than Cabin in the Woods. I don't think... I mean, I think Cabin in the Woods is consistently funnier um, just because of the the quality of the joke writing where I think a lot of the humor here is hung on the chemistry between Alan Tudyk and uh, Tyler Labine. I think really that's where most of the comedy comes from is how good together they are. There's a lot of improv, it seems, between those two, but there's a lot of good written jokes as well. You know, you, you, why, Well, you know, I don't know why you're complaining about walking 40 miles. You shouldn't wear your stripper shoes. <laughs> that was a good really, one. Really yeah, there are, yeah, and then, you know, the way the kills happen. and mm-hmm. the, the, the script is strong, but yeah, I, I, I guess I see what you're saying. So, I mean, yeah, I take that for whatever that is as a recommend. It's definitely a recommend to watch. I don't know if you just recommend necessarily to own. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, Cabin in the Woods obviously is a good else uh, for that. But in terms of my analysis, I would say you ought to watch it alongside uh, Zero Dark Thirty and then mm-hmm. American Sniper. And oh. Uh, see. Oh my gosh, Heath and I totally made American Sniper jokes after this movie. Now it makes completely a lot of sense. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's totally that same sort of thing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, savages and. Those sorts of terminologies being used, I think, are, are, are very right on uh, for it. Again, the, the, that sort of duplicity with uh, torture um, is another thing to be thinking about mm-hmm. as well. So, And also, just watch Zero Dark Thirty because it's so damn good. It's good, yeah. Uh, so there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got a little bit longer. Here's your chance to give us your else's or instead to offer your own analysis or critique ours. Um, and that is through that magical means that we all know as social media. Miss <laughs> Alexander Bohannon, do anything about social media means? I do. If you wish to email us, you can email us at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. We do have some Gmail feedback this week. That's why I mentioned it first. About our Casablanca episode, Paul Hawkins says, That film has many good small parts that add up. My favorite line in the film comes up when Rick's place is being shut down. Rick, how can you close me up? On what grounds? Captain Renault. I'm shocked. Shocked to find that gambling is going around in here. In there. Such a good... You're winning, sir. You're winning, sir. <laughs> so funny. So funny. Yeah. And, oh, thank you very much. Yeah, so that was... I agree, Paul. That was really good. I also am guessing, Paul, this is some, some investigative journalism on my part, that you might be one of our UK listeners, because he does spell favorite the British way. Um, on a... Social media means it could be Google Plus, which you can find us at Good Trash OKC on Google Plus. Um, I believe Chris G says on Google Plus that Casablanca is an absolute classic, so iconic that it's been parodied countless times. We did talk about uh, Carrot Blanca on our episode. I and, do, and the magnificent Out Cold. Yeah. I enjoy the black and white classics, even the non talkies as far back as 1990. 1922, were and they were amazing. Yeah, Chris, um, you have a friend in uh, Dustin Sells. He loves his black and white, non-talking movies. I like silent film. It's yeah. a good thing. And then, last but not least, on Facebook, we uh, asked our listeners about Oscar predictions. And a one Nick Sanford said... Oh, God. <laughs> what? what? Well, where are we at on Facebook, Alex? You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash 
Good trash zo- genre cast. Zombie cast? Zombie cast. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> On our Oscar predictions uh, post, Nick Sanford said, I was wrong every which way because Scream went home completely uh, empty-handed. damn it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nick. It's not all about you, Sanford. Yeah. And uh, Dalton sends his love. That's well, all we got over here. Thank you so much for all of that good feedback. Thank you for sending that feedback to your listeners. I believe there's yet one other social media means by which conversations could be held. Dalton, do you know anything about that? Dustin, when you see a college girl prance around in front of you half naked, quit calling my name out. I don't, I, I'm sorry. There's not a lot of good uh, quotes for me to segue into Twitter. Tweets! Tweets. Something, something, something. Tweets. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> you can find the good trash genre cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Do we have any feedback coming in from that Twitter? We do, you know, we, we were kind of in full force with social media uh, this last week in the lead up to um, you, uh, uh, you Pick the Trash, as we've been calling it. Um, hashtag. Hashtag, You Pick the Trash. Please use that. We yeah. love you You've got suggestions. Uh, you know, hashtags are fun, but if you have suggestions, please make sure to tag them that way. Uh, make it a little bit easier to find them. Um, Randall Bays wrote in uh, in response. I asked people what, you know, again, because of the, the weather we've been having here in uh, the Oklahoma City metropolitan area lately, um, I went ahead and asked people what their favorite Snowden movies were. Uh, and Randall Bays said that his go-tos are Raiders of the Lost Ark and Goonies. Mm, uh, good, those are nice. Good picks there. Good double feature, too. Uh, Brigham Cole wrote in and said his go-to is The Big Lebowski, but of course we already knew that. It's just one of his go-to. I, I want to watch movie movies. Brigham Cole uh, wrote in uh, again in response to You Pick the Trash and suggested uh, Moon, uh, Duncan Jones' Moon with Sam Rockwell, and he also suggested uh, Full Metal Jacket by uh, Stanley Kubrick as films he'd like to hear us talk about. Hmm. And then, uh, you know, more whoring took place uh, on there, uh, me and Alex trying to drum up sponsors, and we got some feedback from that, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, We've got a new follower in the way of the Dialogue Journal, which is at Journal Dialogue. Which is the uh, official journal of the Southwest PCA. So Correct. thank you, Southwest PCA. Oh, that's right. Uh, Southwest PCA also on Facebook shared our episode that contained all the interviews on their official Facebook page. So thank you guys so much for giving us some good publicity. Really appreciate it. Uh, we also got a uh, at mention from Zach Schofield. That's at 4Zs, 4As, 4Cs, 3Hs. Uh, Zach Schofield was the art author of the article for Newsweek magazine uh, that I discussed uh, about the Leonard Cohen um, nice. <clears throat> covers and, and uh, of the song Hallelujah. And he tweeted at us and said, what, what episode was that on? Uh, I was like, oh, so that was really cool. Yeah. Uh, so I tweeted him the link and was like, it's mentioned for about five seconds at the end of the episode. Uh, but he just tweeted at us and said, where can I hear the episode? I'm the author of the article. And I, I got a real kick out of that. So that was kind of fun. Wonderful. Yeah, but... Um, Zach Schofield, there's your answer. It's on our uh, Blue's Warmest Color episode, which you can uh, find via uh, Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and all sorts of other media. Because we here at the Good Trash Genre Cast make our voice heard in all sorts of places, which is why, if you're interested in uh, in sponsoring some sort of uh, online media, you should consider the Good Trash Genre Cast. Here's looking at you, Loot Crate. Loot Crate! Where for the low, low price of $13.37 per month, you can have a crate full of geek and gamer swag sent directly to your door uh, with a guaranteed price uh, of the items in the box of at least $30. Uh, and they also send out ultimate crates that are uh, worth up to $500 a month to a few very lucky subscribers. Loot Crate. Crate for your loot. 
That's not an ad, listener. That's just what Loot Crate is. And Loot Crate, that's the sort of fine, fine presentation you can expect from the Good Trash Genre cast. <laughs> he does that really well, Loot Crate. I, I think that, that a beautiful friendship could be started here. Harry's Club. Razors sent to your door. I can do anything. <laughs> Dalton's showing some leg there, and we appreciate that very, very much. Um, again, uh, give us feedback at all those vi- various means by which you listen, and we love to hear reviews at iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher Internet Radio. That's always very, very helpful, and we appreciate it all very much. But enough of this foolishness. Y'all, it's time to play the game. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> This week's game is our favorite misunderstood characters. Uh, that's right! Favorite misunderstood characters brought to you by Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Tucker and Dale vs. Evil! That's right. Tucker didn't even want to go fishing. <laughs> that's pretty misunderstood. It is pretty misunderstood, and he does not like to kill fish. Well, my picks, first of all, I would take um, Norman Bates from Psycho, who seems to be a very, very nice guy. And then, shocker, spoiler alert, he's not. Uh, and there's a shower, and things go very, very bad. No, no, he's not. He, he's not a nice guy, it turns out. And uh, so I think that's a very misunderstood character, especially in his performance, because nobody really sees that coming. And I like that about that particular performance. My other pick uh, is from... Do uh, you really not see that coming from Anthony Perkins? No, I no, I don't think you do. I mean, the first time Watchers, 1960, Anthony Perkins is sort of a... Uh, Beach movie kind of actor. Okay. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. So, I, you know, with uh, Annette Funicello and that sort of thing. I don't mm. know if he's ever in a film with Funicello, but those sorts of things. And, you know, he's working really, really hard to, uh, to avoid typecasting. And he's sort of a, you know, he's a cute, you know, uh, leading man kind of schoolboy crush kind of character. And then he's Norman Bates. Uh, the other great misunderstood character, I think, in cinema is uh, the Frankenstein monster in the original Frankenstein. Uh, he uh, he just he was he just exists. He, he's sorry that he exists to an extent, and uh, he uh, is quite innocent, but also quite destructive in certain ways. And everyone just wants to burn him because he's different. And uh, I do find uh, great tragedy. And again, the first film I ever wept at was when I saw Frankenstein as a young boy. I was probably eight or nine years old. And I cried and cried and cried when the monster died. And so that's one of my favorite misunderstood character moments. Mm. Mr. Donald Stewart, what is your pick? Well, I I went a different direction with this. I didn't specifically go with characters that were misunderstood within the confines of their film. I really thought a lot about characters that were misunderstood uh, in the larger culture. I think. I, and I do have some picks that were misunderstood uh, within their, their media. Uh, the one that automatically came to mind was Darth Vader. Um, you know, a very sympathetic villain um, who we think is this just badass space fascist mm-hmm. samurai. Uh, Turns out to be more something of an anti-hero. Exactly. Guy. By the end of the, the a Ridge Tridge, we find out that he there's a lot more going on underneath that armor. Um, so I, I think that's really a, a great go-to. Uh, I also thought about um, Kevin Spacey's character in The Usual Suspects. Mm. Oh, um, yes. Who is, uh, without spoiling anything for that film, which uh, is kind of notable for its twist, um, is misunderstood as this kind of you know ineffectual uh, small-time crook who are, ends up being something quite a bit more. Um, but the characters I really thought about for characters that are misunderstood in the larger popular consciousness, um, and that's where I went with this game, uh, really. Uh, I thought about one that's a, it's a package deal, and that's Walter White and Scarface, um, Tony Montana. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are characters that have become something of folk heroes in popular culture, uh, particularly Walter White lately. 
Some little kids, they want to grow up, be president. Some kids want to be a doctor. I just wanted to be bad. Look at my shit. Look at my shit. I got rooms of this shit. All this shit. That's it. Money. I'm about making money. Look at my shit. Look at my shit. That's it. I got shorts of every fucking color. Designer t-shirts. Fucking dumb chucks. That's a fucking art piece. <laughs> My fucking spaceship. I go to different planets on this motherfucker. But yeah, you know, Scarface, particularly in the hip hop community, and, and Walter White, really for everyone, have become kind of these folk heroes, and they're not good guys, no, uh, at all. They're bastards, uh, especially Walter White, you know. And I, the final episode of Breaking Bad finally addresses that. But I think you know, discerning viewers picked up quite early on that Walter White wasn't just in it for his family. There's something mm-hmm. more going on about that, you know being in the empire business, as it were. Um, so I, I think it's very important to demystify those kinds of characters, those characters that you know we misidentify as folk heroes, which brings me to my final pick, which is the, the cowboy persona of Clint Eastwood, uh, specifically thinking of you know um, his character from the Dollars Trilogy, The Man With No Name, but also thinking about you know his characters in things like High Plains Drifter, um, Pale Rider, and um, Unforgiven. Uh, you know, Clint has been kind of appropriated by traditional masculinity as, as this tough guy. And make no mistake, he is a total badass in those films. But really what he is is this kind of forlorn character that is very much part of that Reconstructionist Western tradition of looking at the, you know, the, the, the white hats and black hats and thinking, no, all of these people are using violence to get what they want. And I think, especially in those films directed by Eastwood, High Plains Drifter, Pale Rider, Unforgiven, he's saying something about the, the myth of redemptive violence, the myth of especially High Plains Drifter, even more than Unforgiven, I think. Mm-hmm. Although Unforgiven especially, but High Plains Drifter, I mean, he's a bad man in that movie. Um, and, um, you know, hinted at to be the devil uh, at the end of the film. Um, but that, that's something I find very interesting, um, that Clint Eastwood has been appropriated in that sort of way. Um, you know, particularly in all the, the hoopla and conversation around American Sniper, as he's just this tough guy that, you know, stands for men's men and that sort of thing. Really, when his films are a lot smarter than that, I think, uh, and are a lot more about questioning the, ne- the need for violence, uh, even as late as Gran Torino. I, mm. I mean, films about, you know, questioning the idea of whether or not violence of action makes you a, more of a man uh, and what that really means for, for the soul. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalsford. Miss Alexander Mohan, uh, what are your picks? Well, I'd have to go um, to one of my core things of my being and go with Harry Potter and uh, specifically Severus Snape. One Snape. of, and I would also say Dumbledore. Snape. Both of them are extremely misunderstood characters in the whole seventh book and seventh in part A and B films deal with the fact they don't really deal so much with Dumbledore's um, being misunderstood in the seventh movie but definitely in the book um, both of them are revealed how 
um, perceptions of them are totally, mostly inaccurate and in how one guy is good and one guy is bad and, you know, the those surface-level readings of them aren't entirely what they cracked up to be and, of course, everyone cried um, during the seventh film if you had a soul you would have cried during the the Snape's reveal scene eighth, uh, eighth film eighth oh whoops eighth film um they they make so many these days um so that would be one uh, or two picks for you regarding misunderstood characters there's an excellent viral youtube video uh in which is just the snake parts uh put together and it is tragic oh gosh now i'm gonna have oh, to go and, and dr- so drum tragic. that up okay whoo <sighs> prepare my feels. Okay. And my other pick would be also along Dalton's lines of uh, characters misunderstood in larger cultural consciousness. I would have to say that um, my, I would have to go a little personal on this one. In my entire growing up, I kind of um, understood Harrison Ford's role in Indiana Jones. He's this, you know, this adventurer and he's kind of a, ro- a romantic kind of badass and I, I just had the hugest girly crush on them and then I watched that movie as an adult woman and I'm like this is a he is a terrible person that took advantage of a really um, of a young girl in a in a bad situation you and, knew what uh, you're getting yourself into and he doesn't oh feel God. sorry at all and he just shoots a man in cold blood I mean like he's not a good guy and I think that most of he the Raiders, so many people. In that oh movie. yeah, uh, most of Raiders and the whole trilogy, or I don't really count the fourth. Um, think of him as this. You know, he's doing what he has to do, and you know, he's rugged and all this shit. Mm-hmm. But he is rugged. He he is rugged, but he's not a mm-hmm. good guy, and he's not really doing anything for quote the greater good. It's all just for the greater indie. <laughs> the, the greater good. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you very much for those picks. Dear listener, we'd love to hear yours as well. Uh, Let's move on as we conclude the show, as we always do, with what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. Mr. Dalton Stewart, are you fired up? I am. Um, I finally got to see a film that I've really been looking forward to, uh, which is The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, uh, starring Jessica Chastain and James McAvoy, um, which is a, a really interesting idea for a movie. Um, that kind of that came out in a year full of interesting ideas uh, for how to present a film. Uh, you know, thinking about the the illusion of a single take in Birdman, the twelve year production of Boyhood. What we get with the disappearance of Eleanor Rigby is two films uh, subtitled "Him and Her" respectively. Uh, now, in its wider release, it was uh, edited together as "Them," which uh, I have not seen that version. But I, my understanding is it's kind of the weaker. Uh, but "Him and Her" it, it tells you know this story of love and loss through both of their perspectives, um, and I, I got to see that today and really, really liked it. Um, Apparently, when they released the film, uh, they showed her first and then followed up with him. Don't do that. Watch him first, because that's what I did. And I I can tell you right now, I think it's her um, might be a more competent film that stands better on its own. uh, And him really benefits from um, the mystery uh, that you don't get answers to until you watch her. So I I, I would definitely check that out if if you get the chance. It's available now on on DVD, Blu-ray. Um, all the usual suspects. Uh, check that out. Uh, let me know what you think because I really enjoyed it. Um, 
it, it's interesting. The two films together have a runtime of like three hours and ten minutes. Um, but they, they split very nicely, you know, about an hour and a half each. You know, watch him, go have lunch, talk about the movie, then go watch her. Um, really good. And I've been looking forward to those for quite a while, so I was glad I finally got to see those because um, we did not get uh, those two cuts separate films here in Oklahoma. It was a very limited release for those from the Weinstein Company. Um, secondly, I'm so, so fired up. Um, Neil Blomkamp, uh, who you know from District 9 and uh, Elysium and the soon-to-be-released Chappie, which I'm very excited about, uh, has been uh, announced as the next director uh, to try and tackle the Alien franchise. And that's not Prometheus, that's Alien proper. Um, oh, and the way this came about is really cool because uh, Sigourney Weaver's in Chappie, uh, and apparently Blomkamp has always, always, always wanted to make an Alien film. He's a huge fan of the franchise, um, and working with Sigourney Weaver on Chappie, he, he was like, man, I really should think about this. So he, he did some concept work, wrote a whole outline, um, and then kind of started releasing some of his concept art um, onto Instagram. Uh, and I guess Fox, uh, 20th Century Fox uh, approached him. Uh, and after some kind of hemming and hawing about it, um, th- that was fairly public, he has gone ahead and accepted the job to write and direct um, the next uh, part of the Alien franchise. So I- I'm curious to see how that'll go. Um, I'm hoping it'll be good. There's more bad Alien movies uh, than there are good ones if you count the spinoff films. Uh, but but I have high hopes. I like uh, District 9 so, so very much. I've got a poster of it in my living room. Uh, that's how much I like it. Um and Elysium was good despite, you know, a lot of flaws, and I'm looking forward to Chappie. So I, I like Blomkamp's work a lot. It's very thoughtful science fiction. So he, here's hoping for good things from his uh, direction of the Alien franchise. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohanner, are you fired up this week as well? Yeah, I'm only, I'm fired up about, about one and a half things. <laughs> okay. Um, well, the half is just kind of like, uh, I've already talked to Dalton about my half. Um... Anyway, the first thing I'm fired up about is I finally got a chance to watch Better Call Saul, and I knew I wasn't going to be disappointed, but I was doubly not disappointed, because that show is really good. Oh my gosh, everything about it, I'm just in love with it so hard. Ah, Odenkirk, he just, ah, he nails it. It's just wonderful. And the fact that I'm already so invested in this show, and it's only, I've only seen the four episodes that are out. Um, are there five? I, I, I think five airs tomorrow. Okay, that's what I thought too, but I wasn't for sure. So, yeah, I'm just very, very pleased, and, you know, already got characters that we recognize, um, but it doesn't feel like it's too much in the shadow of Breaking Bad. Like, I don't feel like you know, like Walter White's going to pop yeah. out from around every the, corner. The two episodes, hey, I, the yeah. two episodes I've seen, it definitely seems to have, you know, gotten the connections to Breaking Bad out of the way really within the first ten minutes, and it's yeah. kind of striving to be its own show at this point already. Yeah, and the I, I love the opening credits. That might be one of my favorite things. The opening titles, yeah, they're yeah, pretty good. Yeah, just that VHS appeal of this in the framing narrative. Okay, anyway, I could just wax poetic about this show for right now. Um, so that's one thing that's got me fired up. I'm excited to follow that. And uh, the second thing I'm also fired up about, which is like half a thing I'm fired up about, is I have been unfortunately roped into watching uh, Gilmore Girls. And I... I oh, okay, are you... I, I and, love the Gilmore Girls. Oh my so gosh! 
This is so smart. I love it. Yeah, okay, so I wasn't expecting to have anyone around the table that had seen it. I'd never seen it. I'd always caught it on, like, ABC Family, and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on, and this looks like it's filmed in the style of Seventh Heaven, so I don't think I'm going to like it, and so I'd always flip the channel. And I um, started watching it with my roommate, and I just can't stop watching it with her. It's just really good. Yes, it is. I, I just, it's, it's so well written. It's so fun. Like, it is It is so fun, and I just have really been enjoying it a lot. And it's and it's it's kind of one of those shows that you don't... It, it's really smartly written, but you don't feel like you have to try too hard to think. And it... And you just kind of enjoy yourself. And I haven't seen a show like that in a long time. Most of the shows I've been watching lately have been like, you know, House of Cards tier that have been like super, super thinky thoughty or, you know, Better Call Saul. Or at least super fast plotted, so you have to keep up. Fast plotted, yeah. Uh, Just, this is nice having a nice little jacuzzi of a TV show just to kind of curl up in and. You know, enjoy. Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I, I fully endorse that. That's awesome. I would have never guessed. I've heard good things about it. I've just never, you know, there's a lot of television. Yeah, there yeah, is a lot of television. There is a lot of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Well, thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohan. I'm actually fired about more things than I thought. Um, I have in my possession what appears to be a charcoal drawing of uh, Jack Nicholson doing the Here's Johnny pose from The Shining, uh, given to me by one Nick Sanford. Um, thank you, thank you, Nick. We we love getting loot of any sort. and uh, Crated or otherwise. Crated <laughs> or otherwise. And so I have this in my possession. I also was given a gift when I got back from Albuquerque that I've been meaning to mention for so many weeks and I just haven't got around to it. I have also in my sticky fingers uh, the Oxford uh, Book of English Detective Stories given to me by my youngest son. And there's there's lots and lots of great little short stories in this uh, particular collection, and uh, it's it's just a wonderful thing to have on my shelf. And And your little son gave it to you. Yeah, it was my Valentine's present. That's so sweet. And so I've been meaning to mention it for quite a while now, and I just want to make say that this is a cool thing to have, and I'm sure it's available as a use. I'm sure it's out of print. Uh, well out of print by now. It's edited by Patricia Craig, if mm-hmm. you were curious. But it is from Oxford University Press, and so you know it's high quality and it's good, good, good stuff. And so I'm very, very thrilled about that. I went to see Marvel Universe live with the children this last week. Saw pics. And how, how was that? It was really fun. It, it sounded like it, a great it's time. a really, really high production. I mean, as far as story wise and narrative, you know, there's not a whole lot going on. Uh, there's there's a MacGuffin and it must be gathered up and many bad guys must be fought. Kind of like a lot of the Marvel movies, p- pretty much. You know, so we have Tesseract pieces and uh, but man, great stuff, great motorcycle stunts. It's like Ringling Brothers Barnum Bailey Circus version of uh, hmm. without the animals. But just the stunts and that sort of thing, uh, and a lot of light effects, uh, great stuff with uh, electric light effects every time Thor swings his hammer. Oh, that's cool. Um, there's an amazing puppet of the full-on Hulk. Uh, there's a brilliant line where uh, Hulk and uh, Bruce Banner, more correctly, and uh, Wolverine team up, and uh, Wolverine is quite angry about missing friends, and uh, Bruce says to him, have you considered anger management? It's hilarious. Uh, the lines overall are pretty cheeseball, but it's fun. Very, 
very, very fun. And, uh, you know, if you get it in your city, uh, dear listener, uh, you should go check it out with or without kids. Um, bring kids, though, you look less creepy. <laughs> I, was about, I, was, I, was, I was about to ask. Bring at least one child. It's like trying to sneak in a Lego land. Don't yeah. be a weirdo. Rent a child and then go see uh, Marvel Universe live. Very, very fun times. The last thing I'm fired up about is not so much a good fire. Um, I have two parts to it. Um, we we, we um, are all mourning the passing of one Leonard Nimoy oh, this week. Um, he mm-hmm. played Spock uh, so iconically in the Star Trek franchise. Um, there's been a lot of hate uh, for uh, Bill Shatner on the interwebs and Twitterverse. Really? I've missed out on that. Bill did not make it to the funeral. Um, he had a charity event scheduled that day, and he went to that instead, and the internet was all hating on uh, Bill for that. He sat Shiva uh, with uh, Mr. Nimoy's family the you, night before. You mean Shiva. 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 Shiva's Shiva. a different thing. Shiva's in Hinduism. Yeah, yes, Shiva. It is. See, I'm doing it again. He sat, he sat Shiva. He sat Shiva. I know our new tongue twister. That's uh, really cool. Yeah, and so, you know, Bill definitely loves Nimoy, and definitely, you know, um, has all those uh, good affections and feels. And the if internet, you listen to the Hanukkah song, you already knew that both Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock were Jewish. And uh, it's, it's really kind of unfortunate that that happened, and yeah. it's like, internet, give a guy a break. You yeah. Know? I mean, I, he, he sat with the family. He's got this, you know, sort of persona of arrogance and, and, mm-hmm. and you know, being cocksure and all that, and that that is a thing that goes on that's probably not entirely acted, but Bill's a good guy, and he's good people, and he's a good friend, and uh, back up off of him, internet. Um, the last, you know, bit, you know, again, Nimoy, and just the Spock character, and just how meaningful he is to us all, and I know several of I mean, us around the table have things we'd want to say about I, I learned something I, I had never uh, heard about, um, you know, in his passing, um, and, which is that, you know, back when the show was in its uh, original run, a, a young biracial teenager who was going through, um, you know, a lot of issues. Late sixties, you know, a, a lot of a lot of things going on with race relations in the country at, at that time, obviously. And he wrote a letter to Mr. Spock, um, you know, asking for guidance because Mr. Spock was half human, half Vulcan. Uh, and Leonard Nimoy wrote him back in character. Mm. That's oh, fantastic. that's wonderful! Isn't that adorable? Yeah, yeah. they they the, apparently that letter has been floating around on the internet for a couple of years. And um, somebody re, you know, sent a tweet uh, tweet out uh, with a link to that, and I was just, what a great guy, you know, mm-hmm. what a great guy. Definitely, I mean Leonard Nimoy. I actually one of my long time ago, I knew a girl that actually met Leonard Nimoy as a child. Like she had a picture oh, yeah? with him, and That's she cool. said that it really, really um, changed her perspective and kind of inspired her definitely during that time and I'd say that Mr. Nimoy has inspired a generation of people that want to think critically about their own society and really think beyond just our planet you know you know space travel and Mm -hmm. and a generation of scientists and you know he he meant a lot to a lot of people and um, I think that you know a world's a bit a bit darker of a place without Mr. Nimoy having, yeah. living in it. Well, I guess the last things I want to say, and I guess I'm sort of the official eulogizer on the show. Definitely. And, um, you know, I, again, words words for Leonard. Leonard, you know, you did so much um, besides Spock, and we, we thank you for that. We thank you for all of your. Um, off-camera appearances, you know, at Star Trek conventions and how you cared for each individual fan. Um, we love your photography work, uh, especially um, your project of a book that didn't really make a whole lot of money at the time where you photographed uh, women who had um, non-traditional body types 
and uh, photographed their beauty in that, and uh, we appreciate your advocacy in that. And of course, we, we can't not say that the character of Spock is of vital importance, and uh, that really, truly, um, you played a person that was not human, and as Shatner says in, in Wrath of Khan, you were the most human of us all, and you taught us better to engage that part of ourselves that is both logical and that is both emotional, and uh, we, we thank you for um, being uh, one of the best among us and uh, for truly showing us what it means, again, to be human. Uh, and so as you make your way on into that undiscovered country, you know, your memory will live long and prosper. And uh, you have been so, so, so important to us all. And, uh, you know, we're hoping that there's some planet somewhere where someone like you will be born again and uh, we have more uh, of that sort of goodness going out in the universe. Um, no, I'm certainly not the first one to say this, but uh, we have been and will always be your fans. Mm, that's right. That's right. <clears throat> Well, gang, uh, we need to wrap this show up, even though we are sort of on a sour, or not even sour, uh, a dour, melancholy. melancholy note there. Um, we, we, again, thank you, dear listener, for listening uh, this point this point forward into the show. We, we now need to move on and just name our next listener pick where you hashtag pick the trash. Brigham Cole, um, who's trying to win the internet as far as good trash feedback lately, has suggested we check out a little film called Moon, starring one Sam Rockwell. Mm-hmm. Um, it's made some waves. Mostly just Sam Sam Rockwell and Kevin Spacey. Yeah, uh, so it's a very small picture in that way, but it's also science fiction, so it's definitely genre fair. Take a look at that. Take a look at a film. Uh, watch a bunch of Star Trek uh, this week, if nothing else. Um, It'll pair nicely with Moon. My children and I watched um, Wrath of Khan and The Search for Spock this last week, and uh, it was wonderful and sad uh, all at the same time uh, we um, we want to do that and be better people because of you uh, take a look at that movie and have those conversations because it, I mean, this is the point right the movies are so much more meaningful than just 90 minutes and popcorn um, there's big conversations to be had uh, from them and until we see you again dear listener um, have some good times at the movies Stumpy